time for Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast from the Spacebook for the Fandom Podcast Network. With me, Dan Hadley, Birmingham's King of the Geeks and Designated Driver. How apt. Now, it could be you've heard the show before, but maybe you haven't. Rest assured, there's something for everybody here on Type 40. Whatever decade or century you started watching, reading or listening along to the ongoing adventures of the Time Lord, our hero, Doctor Who. We talk about it all on this show. So come and step into our TARDIS and share this journey here with us on Type 40. Hello. Welcome back. Welcome back to Type 40. Welcome back to the console room. And welcome back to everybody, whether you're from the north, the south, the east, or the west. And uh, yeah, we're talking about one particular Doctor Who legend, a, a thespian legend too. But before we get to him, I'm going to bring in the latest Doctor Who thespian legend. <laughs> it's my good friend. Yes, and everybody's sort of queen of the North, really. It's starry-eyed girl Sarah Graham. Hello. Hello, hello. How are we? I'm very well, thank you. In fine voice. We have, we have sun. What's this I hear about you joining the thespian community then? <laughs> uh, yeah, I am part of a little group called... Uh, the Script Doctors, which was set up by our good friend Neil Heidemann. Uh, some yeah. people know him as Mr. Hyde. And he's just changed his name again now. He's called The Geek Inside on YouTube. He had this wonderful idea of um, acting out some Doctor Who stories. Usually the ones that, you know, might have been like middle of the road ones or the, the not quite so good ones. And yeah. what we found is over time is. As we've got more confident, we've started ab-libbing all, all sorts of shenanigans. <laughs> so and we've actually made a lot of them better. First of all, I mean, the ones that are not so good, all Doctor Who stories are good. <laughs> Every Doctor Who story is somebody's favourite, aren't they? But I think I know what you mean. You're talking about those sort of mid-tier stories, aren't you? The kind yeah. that sort of raise a smile rather than come top of the of the uh, award-winning polls and things mm -hmm. like that. So On Sunday, do a nice little plug here, we are doing Planet of Fire. Yes. And the following that, we've got Time Lash. I mean, come on, Time Lash. <laughs> <laughs> the good stuff keeps, keeps on coming. Which role are you taking in Planet of Fire? I'm playing the Doctor. I'm, yeah, I've, uh, ah. I've got my cricket jumper. <laughs> I was telling you about this the other day. You, so, you were indeed, yeah. I was, I was really excited because I found this cricket jumper and hat on eBay. And you know, and it all fits and everything. And then I, I rewatched the episode, <laughs> and because they filmed in Lanzarote, he only wears it like in the first like minute. Oh well. Still, still, the uh, it's yeah. you're channeling the Fifth Doctor anyway. Yeah. And at the end, there you won't be recording from Lanzarote. I'm sure it's what he would have wanted. So I'm gonna have the sticker salary as well. <laughs> so this is not so much a group as a company, isn't it? A company of actors. That's yeah, the correct, so the correct phrase, the I correct think. I'm, phrase. I'm sure yeah. Christopher Eccleston himself would approve, because that's what we're here to talk mm. about this time, isn't it? Mm. Christopher Eccleston, we're here to celebrate the man himself. I mean, mostly because, as of recording today, it is the, I think it's the 17th anniversary of Chris Eccleston's very first announcement as being the Ninth Doctor when it was first put in the press, something like that. Because Chris, Chris Eccleston's your doctor is he would you say yeah i would say so i mean he's certainly my first doctor and uh yeah i've got a a lot of happy memories and he you know he was the one that got me into doctor who so you know without yeah. without him and this series yeah i wouldn't be here now 
talking to you. And that would be a disaster, wouldn't it, everybody? An absolute disaster. We're going to get into it about Christopher Eccleston in a moment, about his glorious return, as well as that original appearance back in 2004, and then actually on screen in 2005. But yeah, before we get there, each and every edition of this show, past, present, and future, is just a tap or two away if you know where to look. And there's details about all of that coming a little bit later on, as well as that bit where we make contact with the matrix of all knowledge. To us, that's the Fandom Podcast Network. To hear about all the other fabulous podcasts on their master feed along with us. Firstly, though, let's get uh, let's get talking about the Ninth Doctor himself. So, yeah, can you remember the very first time that you saw him get announced as, as the Doctor, Sarah? Was was it a case of it made it into the press and it made your radar? Or was it some way into the production process that you became aware it, that Doctor Who was on? It was really late in the day, actually. I think it was only a couple of weeks before um, he did the, um, the usual round of interviews and the press junket and all that. And I... Um, I was watching uh, BBC News, you know, the breakfast show. Yeah. And uh, it was being interviewed. And in, I mean, there was so much publicity for it. I mean, the advertising were everywhere. You saw the billboards, yeah. you know, the bus shelters and everything with him and Billy Piper and the TARDIS with the doors open <laughs> the yeah. wrong way. Um, which I did, which completely went over my head, by the way, because I didn't realise that, that that was the wrong way for the TARDIS doors to open at the time. You know what? I, I loved it. I loved it for that. Yeah. I thought it symbolised something, something great, something really inclusive about. I think if the doors had been open in the correct way, it wouldn't have looked right somehow. It looked like something was yeah. beaming out, radiating out from the TARDIS. So I yeah. will forgive them that once, just that once. This one, <laughs> yeah. Well, it had that feel of you know. Uh, it's the throw the doors open to adventure and you know come yeah. and join us and obviously that was part of all the trailers and everything yeah that's so i saw him on on this interview and uh, he was really animated about it and it smiley right. and um and i'd not seen christopher eccleston like that before because i'd only ever seen him in like the serious stuff um i remember watching him in jude we had to study it at college and my god it's such a depressing film <laughs> well, yeah, because he he'd done a lot of that kind of mm. that kind of drama, hadn't he? Very, very serious parts. Yes. He was a very respected actor, mm -hmm. but not he wasn't a name. Most most of the British public couldn't pick him out in a crowd. I don't think P couldn't put a name to the face. Is that fair? I would say so. Um, yeah, maybe his voice. I mean, he's got a very distinctive voice. But yeah, in terms of his face, is. Um, I'm trying to think what was his most popular thing here before Doctor um, Friends in the North, he was in that, weren't he? This is the original press office release here on the BBC's old website from the, the day that he was announced. It's on the 20th of March 2004. It says, acclaimed British actor Christopher Eccleston is to play Doctor Who in the forthcoming 13-part drama series for BBC One. It was announced by Jane Tranter. BBC controller of drama commissioning. Eccleston, star of Flesh and Blood and The Second Coming, it builds here, will take Doctor Who in the 21st century, travelling through time and space fighting monsters on all fronts. It's in a fresh and modern approach to the popular science fiction series. 
He said, I am absolutely delighted to be playing Doctor Who. I'm looking forward to joining forces again with the incredible writer Russell T. Davies and taking both loyal viewers and a new generation on a journey through time and space. Which way is the TARDIS? I can't wait to get started. I've got a quote here from Jane Tranter as well. It says, we are delighted to have cast an actor of such calibre in one of Britain, te British television's most iconic roles. It signals our intention to take Doctor Who into the 21st century, as well as retaining its core traditional values to be surprising, edgy, and eccentric. A little one from Russell T. Davies here. We considered many great actors for this wonderful part, but Christopher was our first choice. <laughs> so yeah, lots of people saying the right things. Of course they were. They, yeah. were amp they were ramping up the general public, weren't they, for what was to come. I saw it announced on the internet, funnily enough, that morning i'd just done a shift at work i was working nights in publishing at the time and i came home got the computer on and uh, yeah there it was there was christopher eccleston now, his name had been mentioned in the run-up quite a few times Sarah, but i'd sort of dismissed it a little i wasn't that excited by the prospect i have to say it's not that i didn't think he could play the part it's just that he didn't seem eccentric and all those other things mm -hmm. So it was, a, it was a weird one. There was an actor I respected, but I couldn't quite imagine him as the Doctor. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he said himself, you know, it, part of the reason he, you know, he threw his hat into the ring was because people weren't, wouldn't have expected that from him. Yeah. I think it made a huge difference, I have to say, I mean, taking that chance. But also, having, I mean, having him be so, like, so serious and gritty, I kind of felt like looking at it now it was like um doctor was being taken seriously again you know this isn't gonna yeah. you know because it was you know towards the end of its run there was a lot of mocking going off and you know doctor wasn't cool anymore yeah and it you know it become the joke with the wobbly sets and everything so yeah i think there was this sense of yeah right we're taking it seriously we've got this um maybe not a big star but you know a respected star um you know we, we are going to do this you know in the proper way and you're gonna like what you see this is this isn't what you've seen before i suppose for for the man in the street or the woman in the street for the general mm. viewing audience it was a case of i don't know that guy i don't quite know that guy but within the actual industry it was kind of like a klaxon going off wasn't it a statement yes. to be said mm -hmm. as jane Tranter says says there here we are we are looking to take this show through the 21st century this isn't just 13 weeks they they seem very clear from the outset this isn't just going to be a 13 week thing and <laughs> here we are 17 years later yeah so obviously you were you were a young woman at the time with few, do you mean a where? few memories what do you mean you <laughs> oh dear <laughs> cut, cut. i'm gonna cancel you you cancelled hardly <laughs> hashtag cancel <laughs> uh, yes, so at, but at the time, you'd got a few memories, hadn't you, of Doctor Who, of watching it when, when you were a, kind of a child or in your early teens. Mm -hmm. you, you know, so you were aware that Doctor Who existed and the general shape of it mm -hmm. kind of knew who this actor was and who wasn't. But it, it was kind of like a perfect storm that whisked you away, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, that. yeah, that's the perfect description. Yeah, I, I you know, I'd seen the odd bits... Um, you know, I knew who Tom Baker was, and I'd seen Dimensions in Time. And I went, what a way to start! <laughs> and you were still uh, interested? 
because uh, I, I, I was a, I used to be a really big EastEnders fan because I'd, I'd watch EastEnders <laughs> with my family, so it was like, you know, what on yes. earth is this, you know? And yeah, and I'd seen the TV movie. Um, so yeah, so I, you know, I know about the police box. Uh, but yeah, there, there was something really, it tapped in in like the current mood, but I mean, Russell T. Davis always been good at doing this, you know, he knows what the trends are. And I was 19 at the time, I was at university, feeling a bit fed up. So Rose was like the perfect, you know, conduit for that, you know, I'd, I could see myself in her like so many people could. And, you know, getting this chance to, you know, the trailers where she says, you know, I've got a choice. I can stay at home with my mum or I can go anywhere, you know, and these adventures. And it would just, well, like, oh, this looks really exciting. You know, they can go anywhere. Um, and yeah, it, it just really appealed to me, you know, like some fun fantasy, you know, on a Saturday night. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it, it was that kind of curiosity to me so i was really coming to it quite new um and, and you know it's a big thing because of, i mean obviously you know i was a teenage girl at university usually going out on a saturday night and i chose to you know stay in and watch this first that chimes perfectly and you are cosplaying her this very day are you not <laughs> do you want, do you want yeah, to tell, tell everybody what's what's the ensemble <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I've got the pink hoodie on and the grey top. And I don't know if you can quite see. I'll do that. I've got the hoops in. There we go. Um, so... attention, to, attention to detail, <laughs> that's what it's all about, isn't it? In the land of cosplay. Uh, yeah, because she was, obviously she was wearing things that, you know, we were wearing. You know, we had the terrible mascara because she wore so much eye makeup, didn't she? Rose and you know the bangles. I suppose she did, did she? Yeah, she did. Yeah, <laughs> but we all did. did. Yeah. It was that. God, I know one. One of my friends she had eyes like spiders' legs. She put that. On. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, and you know the you know the the stuff she was wearing. Um, the hoodies. There were punky face, which were quite a cool brand at the time. So yeah, it it, it really did his best to make her this really you know relatable believable character she'd got attitude without being obnoxious i felt i know some people out there yes. heavily disagree <laughs> but, you know that's how i was obviously i was an old man even then now, <laughs> i was in, in my early 30s then obviously i was supposed to relate more so to to the doctor or to the people mm. around her maybe maybe more so to jackie actually come to think of it <laughs> as, as a parent as well you know <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I I found her absolutely captivating, Billy Piper, in, in this role, and I'm not surprised at all that that she had that desired effect. You know, everything, all the ingredients of the of series one, all of it, were very carefully measured and considered by Russell C. Davies, Jane Tranter, mm -hmm. Judy Gardner, all those people, and I think that Chris himself, he was stepping out of his comfort zone, but in a fearless way really when you think about the actors out there and i'm not going to name any names who tend to stick to playing the same kind of parts and we know that they play the same kind of parts and that's kind of okay some of them have been the same part for 50 60 years Adam Woodyard, but, <laughs> you know and that's but that is okay but when you see somebody as, as formidable as christopher eccleston who've got this who'd got this pedigree and who was taken so seriously stepping into a show that had that had been much loved 
but had become a bit of a byword for everything that was naff in TV towards the end of its run and unfairly through the night is treated as this kind of cult campy joke, which I, I still don't think it ever was. I'm sorry, people, for all the people out there who love a bit of camp, I don't have a camp sensibility, Sarah. So, so for me, you know, although I didn't quite know what Chris was going to do with it, it did kind of, once I got used to the idea, it made me feel uh, better. It made me feel secure. <laughs> as secure as I'll ever be. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to come with me? Because if you do, then I should warn you. Because if you do, then I should warn you. If you do, then I should warn you. You're going to see all sorts of things. Ghosts from the past. Aliens from the future. The day the Earth died in a ball of flame. It won't be quiet, it won't be safe, and it won't be calm. But I'll tell you what it will be. I'll tell you what it will be. The trip of a lifetime. Of a lifetime. Doctor Who, Saturdays at 7 on BBC One. So, what was the like atmosphere? Because obviously, you know, you, you've got your Doctor Who friends and you were part of these fan community. I mean, yeah. was, was it excitement or was it, was it yes. dread? <laughs> with, with Chris, yes. There was a lot of excitement. I'd say there was people saying, oh, I wish it had been so-and-so. Oh, why didn't they get Bill Nye? Oh, why didn't they get Paul McGann back? Oh, you know, there was a lot of that. But I think genuinely it was a case of, you know, this guy, he is this unknown quantity. He is very respected. And you know what? I think the name Russell T. Davis, even then, before a single second of it, of it had made it to the screen, people trusted that writer that voice to know what he was talking he'd been banging on about it hadn't you russell for about six years at that point <laughs> you know and he'd been writing doctor who under any other name really in, in stuff like dark season up there so i i think that it was russell's shoulders that we we trusted that the weight would really rest on and again you know chris me uh, mentioned that didn't he in that quote from 2004 you know he leans heavily into that you know don't blame me blame him if this goes wrong <laughs> you know, that that is kind of kind of how it sounds but i know that's not how it was i know that chris eccleston really did bring a lot of consideration and, and thought to it. i've got this i've got this quote from him at the time i don't remember ever reading this at the time but this is an, an interview from Christopher Eccleston in 2004, just after he was cast. And it says, if you, if you wanted to be cynical about it, a lot of the work that I've done has been comfort food for liberals. What's dawned on me? <laughs> I don't know what you mean, Chris. What's dawned on me about Doctor Who is that I'm trying to entertain a different audience. It's exciting and funny and scary, and it's aimed at families. So I'm kind of acting for children, and I feel very lucky to be able to do that. For all the danger the Doctor encounters, the basic message of the show is seize life, be optimistic and see the positives. The series is written with passion and humour and there's an innocence about it. It's a kind of celebration of life in all its forms. In everything the Doctor does, he is saying it's great to be alive. And I can hear people sneering about that, but uh, that's what he believes and it's a nice thing to say to kids or anybody at all for that matter. What's nice about that is, I always saw that it was a privilege to act 
for kids because you know not all actors are like that and not all writers are like that you know the child audience is something to be you know locked down on a patronized and oh it's only kids you can do anything because you know it's only kids but no it's not kids are not dumb and they have their own taste just like everything else and things like russell and stephen moffat in particular they know that you know you had to you couldn't you know don't dumb it down to kids they're not stupid they can learn you know big concepts and things that they'll get it and they'll run with it and i think that the the reassuring presence that that is the doctor and particularly when I look at actors like like John Pertwee, the unflappable John Pertwee, mm. somebody who was who was that commanding, and that magnetic on screen, I think Chris knew. In a way, I don't think all actors have have really known this and known how to play it. But I think that Chris knew what he was taking on, and what people would see in him, and the side to his own nature that he could bring out that that heroism that we we all like to think that that character is inside us, don't we? Mm -hmm. I think he knew that he could project that, and that he could take audiences and take kids on that on that journey. He famously said that he didn't watch it when he was a kid. He used to say this over and over and over again. He never really watched the show, but he'd got some some memories of it but he was mostly out playing you know <laughs> he'd come in sometimes and catch some of it but the fact that the character that the uh, the worth of the character transmitted itself to him and it, it made him he made the call to russell t davis i understand you know yes. what consider me for this is that's am i remembering right yeah that's right yeah um it uh it seen it you know that there was look they were looking for somebody and he thought, you know, I could do something with this. I could, you know, I could do something different. It was a case of the public's perception of him was that he was a uh, a miserable git. I think that's yeah. <laughs> that's what. In fact, because he he'd had a part in the League of Gentlemen with Mark Gatiss only yeah. a couple of years before, and he played quite a a camp character. I think he played the theatre director of a small theatre company who, that had come to Royston Vasey. And he deliberately went for that role and said mm. to Mark Gatiss, you know, I want to have a laugh with this. I'm tired of everybody thinking that I'm this dour git mm. who, who never smiles and can't have a laugh. And, you know, he did kind of prove that. Mm. And since, in the last couple of years, since Chris Eccleston has talked more about his time in Doctor Who, he's been quite critical of himself, hasn't he? That he, he feels that he didn't get the comedy quite right, that the, mm -hmm. that the part was still a work in progress. And that's a, that's a shame that he feels like that, isn't it? It is, because, you know, and, and it, it, we, are our, we are our worst critics. Yeah, so here we are in 2021, Sarah, mm -hmm. and we've gone from one second coming to another. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's the return of the king, isn't it? It's uh, Christopher Eccleston. This was uh, the summer of last year, wasn't it? Christopher Eccleston was announced that he was returning to the role of the Ninth Doctor. How did that make you feel? Oh, I was so giddy. I felt, honestly, I felt like a little kid. Yeah, because we, we know what he's had a, quite a strange relationship in the past with Doctor Who. I mean, you know, not quite Tom Baker level, but... You know there was that feeling about it and it you know the fact that he's come back into the fold and and, and just knew more more nine adventures i mean it, his departure was you know it, it was far too soon i don't know if we'll ever find out for sure what happened but you know one series just wasn't enough for the ninth doctor 
Um, so this is this is really exciting. I don't think the phrase "unfinished business" has ever, ever mm. been more relevant than with Doctor Who for any of the leads. And you know, some of them haven't been treated very well, have they? You know, in the past. Mm. But with mm. Chris Eccleston, we knew so little, and it was so sudden. And of course, we do know no more now. He's spoken at some length, really quite recently, hasn't he? And Russell T Davies has spoken a little. I think that's pretty much where they want to leave it all in the past and yeah. kind of get on with their lives. And I get the impression that Christopher Eccleston, as he talked about in his autobiography, it's called I Love the Bones of You, isn't it? That came mm -hmm. out early last year, I think it was. He's talked about that, about his, his time on Doctor Who, but more about the impact, how, how that sort of fed in and out of his, of his whole mental health struggle i suppose you could call it yeah. over over most of his adult life which it's it's not easy to read that is it when you hear about an actor that you admire and that you that you love but in one role in particular has suffered in that way it's it's sobering isn't it it is and it's quite difficult actually because it brought so much joy i mean not only did you know he brought the show back and he got you know new fans including me but I look back on that series and 2005 and I've just got so much joy from watching that and this world that he introduced me to and knowing that he was suffering while he was filming and you know he had these demons going off in these battles um it, it is it's yeah sovereign's just the word I think yeah, it makes you sit up and take notice but I also think it it makes you appreciate it all the more um you know you know it it got a job to do you know he's an actor but he he really did put his heart and soul into it and I, i'm really happy that now he's looking back and he's been re-watching his episodes with his own kids yeah i'm thinking you know actually i did all right with this you know we, we did well <laughs> and he, he just he has now got this sense of pride and instead of just looking at it and going Oh, that didn't work or, or I didn't do the comedy right he's, he's enjoying being a viewer and spending time with his own kids so I'm glad he's, he's making happier memories I think now I think he's more holistic about it and I think mm -hmm. he says that the Doctor Who fandom has healed him since he made those mm -hmm. first couple of convention appearances which I think was the year before it was a, a, only around 12 to 18 months before lockdown he'd been at Gallifrey One hadn't he after mm -hmm. appearing at a couple of events where he'd just been signing things for people signing pictures posing for photographs he then went and did a panel at, at uh, Gallifrey One which I imagine was quite a brave thing to do but mm -hmm. he pretty much stormed it and the, there was a rapturous response to the actor and of course on the release of his autobiography he gave several interviews we've got a, a quote here which i think i think is really quite nice and shows the place that he's in that he's in now hmm. so this was uh, yes it was september 2019 so the, yeah, around the time the book came out and uh, Christopher Eccleston was at the TARDIS controls when Doctor Who spectacularly re spectacularly relaunched in 2005, but departed the revamped BBC sci-fi series after just 13 episodes. They keep rubbing it in, don't they? And <laughs> he says, in his new memoir, I Love the Bones of You, My Father and the Making of Me, Eccleston recalls his time working on the show. And it says, Billy made Doctor Who a delight, but, but so also did Stephen Moffat's scripts which delivered my best work, bringing me closer to finally knowing who the Doctor was than any other time during the shoot. Directors Joe Ahern and Yuroslin also allowed the character to blossom and to thrive. 
says of, of Joe Ahern there that he loved Joe. And if he directed the show from day one, I'd probably still be playing the Doctor now. It's very pragmatic, isn't it? And very affectionate. Mm -hmm. And uh, very open in his love of the character and fondness for the time. So after all these years said where there was ambiguity, as somebody who loved that era and loved his Doctor, does that heal you too? Does that make it hurt less? Yeah, it does. You know, the, there's more understanding there. And, uh, you know, I don't begrudge anybody. You know, it, it's their life. You have to do what's the right time for you. But I, I'm glad he's come to realise this. And, you know, feeling the love, you know, when he's been to this convention, you know, people haven't forgotten um and you know and some of the kids you know that are adults now he's their first doctor as well you know he did he did capture a generation um and i don't think he gets enough credit i mean i know we always talk about like the tenant era being the golden era and yet tenant you know he made doctor who you know a global thing you know it was super popular but i mean eccleston brought it back you know Without him, we wouldn't have had tenant. So yeah, I think he needs to be credited with with more than he has really. I think he get he, and he's sometimes the forgotten new hall doctor. We've spent a lot of time talking about tenant and Smith, yeah. and not you know as much as him. Because David Tennant, as much as we both love him, he took the baton on something that that was a success. You know, it's it's. Yeah easier to inherit i mean maybe some would argue the point that inheriting success means that there's only one way that it can go and that's down but mm -hmm. no no I, I don't think that was the case with this i think the show and the concept and the supporting cast were there to cradle david tennant and allow him to build whereas yeah, yeah. chris getting getting into this from day one it what just wasn't like that was it yeah i mean yeah they were, they were very much finding the feet and yeah and tennant kind of came on on quite a solid foundation yeah it feels like Eccleston did like all the work I'm not saying Tennant didn't do any because I'm great deal of it but but yeah I think a lot of the like the heavy the legwork was actually done um and yeah I would have just loved to have seen you know another series or two um because he really was I mean those final episodes especially after the empty child and the doctor dances you could see he was really finding his groove yeah, very well, this character is. Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. We like to continue to feed your ears by inviting you to listen to the Fandom Podcast Network and all of the other awesome shows we have to offer. It starts with our flagship show, Culture Clash, our weekly pop culture news podcast. Blood Kings, our Highlander podcast. Couch Potato Theater, our podcast celebrating our favorite movies. Time Warp, the fandom flashback podcast discussing a year in movies and our favorite pop culture topics. Enzo, the NFL podcast. Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock podcast. Union Federation, our Star Trek and Orville podcast. Hair Metal, the 80s and early 90s rock metal podcast. Type 40, our Doctor Who podcast. Lethal Mullet, a 1980s and 90s action film podcast. What a Piece of Junk, a Star Wars podcast. And our newest show, Making Treks, a new Star Trek podcast 
with a deep dive into the final frontier with host Mark Newbold and Adam P. O'Brien. You can enjoy all of these great Fandom Podcast Network shows on our master feed at fpnet.podbean.com. Fandom Podcast Network is also on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also find us on Facebook under Fandom Podcast Network. You can also email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter under Fandom Podcast Network. Thank you for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. Yes, we've teased and tantalised you there, now let us clothe you too. Head over to tpublic.com, search for the Fandom Podcast Network, and you'll find a store full of the team colours for all those shows, on t-shirts, hats, mugs, and a TARDIS full of other items. Treat yourself, treat your other selves, and it all goes to support the network continuing to fill your ears with 100% fabulous fandom goodness. Although you won't be able to see, you will be able to hear, won't you, when uh, when Big Finish released the uh, the first of these new sets of adventures for the Ninth Doctor. Obviously, these are, I'd say this is the Doctor Who event of the year, and I mean the Doctor Who event of the year, against all others. I think all ears, if not eyes, <laughs> will be will be on this first set of stories we haven't got an exact date for their release yet uh big finish they do that don't they they tell us the month so we know that this is out this is out in may may yeah but they they sort of keep you guessing as to when exactly but i think pre-orders have been available since around last april something Mm -hmm. like that but quite recently we had this picture didn't we christopher eccleston he tweeted this picture himself of him Mm -hmm. holding the front page of his very first big finish script and uh, you know he may not have a big smile on his face but his eyes are smiling i think he knows the uh, the weight the importance the significance of this moment that he's yeah. sharing with the with his audience doesn't he i think so yeah he's, he's got a that is think, smiling for chris Eccleston. i think <laughs> it is yeah i think this picture is is for you and for people like yeah. you who were mm-hmm. there with him from day one and he's saying you know come with me again I love that it's the 2005 logo. Just so much better. <laughs> makes me so happy to see yeah. that logo again. I, I didn't expect that, but there it is. Yeah, front yeah. front of the uh, of the script itself, underneath a huge spoiler warning there from from Big Finish. Of course, uh, it's been under under lock and key all of it for much of the last 12 months. I think mm-hmm. he only actually recorded this set around Christmas time over a period of say four or five days but it is all all recorded safely recorded now and all from the from the pen and the mind or the more likely the uh, the mac of nicholas briggs <laughs> and uh, we've got a little we've got a press release here do you want to hear it we've got story details for the first yes. three yes so it's called doctor who the ninth doctor adventures ravagers and uh, the stories included in this first volume this first box set of three stories there's a first one which is called uh, sphere of freedom and the little blurb says on the sphere of freedom the doctor is about to shut down an evil immersive games business empire sounds like the sort of thing the ninth doctor would get up to doesn't it Mm -hmm. Uh, he's assisted by valiant galley chef 
Nova, but his uh, plan spectacularly fails. And who exactly is Audrey? So it sounds like he's deep into mopping up after the time war there. What do you think? I think so, yeah. I, I love this whole era because because of how he was introduced to us in the series. There is quite a bit of scope to, for him to have had these adventures before he met Rose. Uh, you know, there's not, I mean, there's not much wiggle room, but there, there is so much. Uh, Within uh, the 13 it, episodes themselves, they're very, yeah. they're really quite tight, aren't they? But we can, we can work backwards or we can work out to the side even because the character i'm not saying he didn't develop in those 13 weeks but it's it's really nailed down isn't it the, the characterization because mm -hmm. it, it had it simply had to be didn't it in 2005 to bring people such as yourself in it did yeah there's a definite arc to his character there's a definite arc to rose jack appearing as well but yeah there is uh th th this, there is scope and i do like that deliberate vagueness although we know it did regenerate quite soon because obviously he sees himself in Jackie's mirror mm. um, but yeah there's, there's, there's a little bit of space to play around and you know well, it could be that he just hadn't seriously hadn't had time to look in the mirror or hadn't hadn't even thought to because there are no mm. mirrors in his console room are there it's as if and the way that he dresses suggests to me that it's a less dandy doctor who's less interested in preening himself uh, just an, a lean haircut that's easy to maintain mm -hmm. just pull on a sweater or a pullover and and pull on a jacket that's tough and thick and will do in all weathers it's it's mm -hmm. very very functional same with the doc martins i i can honestly think that he could have been the doctor for a few years and never have ever looked in the mirror the whole time is there could have been a psychological aspect to it i mean you know would you yeah. want to look at yourself in the mirror after you'd done what you'd yeah don't know what you'd experience but yeah it does give you that thing of is living at breakneck speed from one one adventure to the next so yeah that's absolutely possible and that's why i think that when when you're looking at at slotting other adventures in between that or doing anything with the character at all you have to be just as nailed down and very clear about the kind of stories that you want to tell specifically with this doctor because i think that more than any other if it's a generic Doctor Who storyline, it's going to really come across. It's going to be really, really obvious. And people will be underwhelmed. And the actor is not going to have been engaged. Nick Briggs has written all three of these. And we've got a, a, the second one here. This is called Cataclysm. And it says Nova is dislocated in time while the time eddies are out of control. Meanwhile, the Doctor is about to face the end of the universe. Or is it just the Battle of Waterloo? This seems to line up to me with something like Father's Day, where yeah. you know the, the Reapers are kind of mopping up as well after the time, aren't they? They're opportunists, yeah. they're vicious, and they're animalistic. And here we're talking about you know a, a woman who is dislocated in time, and, and time eddies, and we know what time eddies are. They're they're little sort of uh, bolt holes that the mm -hmm. first Doctor's in a t trapped in a time eddy, isn't he, when they send yes. him back in the three Doctors. So the idea that there's these little pockets of time that are out of control, that also, I'm thinking, yes, this is this is the Ninth Doctor's universe. This is mm -hmm. this is his territory. This is the kind of thing that he'd do on a day-to-day, -day, on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, but again, it shows you, you know, how seriously it's being taken. And again, you know, Eccleston 
being how he is, he, he wouldn't just accept any old script if quality wasn't there, because they wouldn't have done it. They are going to look to develop the character somehow and to give the actor sufficient variety of material to, to flex his muscles. Because I suppose if you're an actor and you're used to performing more so for the cameras and you're there rooted to the spot at the moment, either in a very tiny studio under strict COVID protocol conditions or recording from your own home, you're in a really tiny area. So I, I think that the, the trick could be to give the actors a, a variety of material too, to have more fun with it, to flex mm -hmm. dramatic and comedic chops. And that's why I'm wondering about the, uh, about the third story, which is called Food Fight. And it says the TARDIS is starting to get a little crowded. Audrey finds herself ha haunted by a ghostly doctor. That's the, that's the blurb we've got for that. It says serious, but a title like Food Fight. Sounds like the more lighthearted one in the box set. <laughs> That sounds fun. It sounds like the kind of thing that the that the doctor would would sort of shout. <laughs> that this doctor in particular would shout at the top of his voice for for whatever reason. So yeah, all these uh, all these new adventures have been released with brand new artwork, and this is by Tom Webster with Aidan Wilkinson. Aidan's the creating owner's Tardis man all over Twitter and Facebook, mm -hmm. expert at those blue boxes, and Tom Webster himself has been. Uh, creating artwork for Big Finish for years and years and years and years now and uh, just beautiful stuff and I think that both of them have gone next level yeah. on this new set of stories. It, it evokes that time doesn't it? It does yeah I was just thinking the colour scheme you know the gold and the orange and then the, the blue of the TARDIS yeah it makes you feel all nostalgic. <laughs> It, well, this is it. It, it does. Mm. And, you know, for all that people will complain, not least of all me, I think we've both done it, about all mm. merchandise carrying the logo of its respective eras. The fact that they're using the current branding on it, I think it's not the end of the world. It's still... I can look at that. I, I can have a look at it because it's such a piddly little thin rubbish logo. <laughs> you don't you don't notice it. It does not do what a logo is supposed to do. And I don't even work in graphic design. I can overlook it, but yeah, I, I would have preferred the proper logo. And it says here, yeah, all four volumes of the Ninth Doctor Adventures are being released over a certain period of time. That's the plan. There's going to be four mm. of these box sets, but we've got this first one initially, which will be available in three formats. You've got collection, collector's edition CDs, the digital download, the big finish are obviously moving more towards now, or mm. a limited edition gatefold triple LP vinyl set, which is exclusive to uh, www.bigfinish.com. Big Finish listeners can save if you, if you order, you know, order the entire lot as early as you can, and you can save more. You know, I think it's eighty-eight pounds the collector set as CDs, with seventy-eight pounds as a download, and the the vinyls themselves are limited to one thousand per volume, and they're going to work out at thirty-five pounds ninety-nine each. Or you can order them all for one hundred and thirty-two pounds. In a bundle too. I think the episodes themselves are being slightly recut for vinyl somehow. I, I don't know how that's going to work. Mm. An episode on the side or whatever. All those dramatic possibilities now. Who knows where this this could end? You know, we've got this definite set of four volumes, but you know we know what happened with Paul McGann. He loved recording so much. He came back, mm. and then he came back, and then he came back. And now the man mm. is a fixture on audio. Can you see that happening for Chris Eccleston? 
I'd like to think so. Especially, you know, at the current time, you know, it can... yeah. I don't want to sound cynical, but it could be his only acting gig for a while. And obviously how Big Finish operates, it's a lot easier to do than, you know, filming film on TV. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'd say the possibilities are endless because obviously we have to kind of work around what's yeah. going on screen. You know, obviously with McGann, there's much more freedom. Um, but yeah, I don't see why he, he shouldn't be doing this for a few years. Uh, you know, as long as the writing's up to scratch. Yeah, I'm still in hope that, you know, one day he's gonna... <laughs> he's gonna come back on screen. Not right at this... <laughs> maybe, in, think... maybe in about 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Comes back for the 70th. I uh, think the more that he plays the part, however and wherever, and the more that he interacts with the fandom and we can all sweet-talk him, over a period of years, you know, <laughs> it's perfectly legal, it's perfectly allowed. He obviously is responding to the warmth of the fan base. Mm -hmm. And that's only going to increase when, when these releases, presuming they're any good, you know, this could be... <laughs> you know, I'm putting a lot of faith here in Nick Briggs. I think yeah. that that man, he knows how to, how to construct great stories that are really listenable and what makes a damn good adventure. Mm -hmm. you know, it's a good, good, safe pair of hands to start this off with. And there's so many other great writers as well at, at Big Finish. Who I'm sure we'll be able to to build from this. So my instinct is that, yeah, okay, pre-sales of this must have been through the roof, but I do think that people are going to be thrilled by what they hear. And there could be as well people out there who maybe haven't tried audio before that may try these. Yeah, I mean, you know, not not everybody's into Big Finish, and you know no. the. The catalogue is so immense. It, it is difficult to know where to start. You know, if you've not, if you're not into it. But I mean, yeah, exactly. This um, having the ninth Doctor, it it will encourage some people to come in. I mean, you know, like the recent stuff like with River Song, <laughs> Missy, and you know the Paternoster Gang. All that you know, it's another way of getting fresh fans in. Would you like to hear Christopher Eccleston as the Ninth Doctor with Alex Kingston as River Song? Are you are you up for that kind of thing? Yes, I know. Um, okay. I'd like to. It'd be funny to watch um, or listen to, but it it's just going to get silly and start, you know, talking down too much. We're starting to do the yeah. It, it depends who's writing. Potentially, all the toys that are in Big Finish's box. The Ninth Doctor, yeah, he, he's unlikely to go forward and, and interact with somebody like Amy Pond or with, or with Bill Potts, but potentially the Ninth Doctor could meet the Brigadier, as played by John Coleshaw. He, he could interact with any one of a number of people. So is it anybody like that, or dare we say, Doctors, eventually Doctors, you know, villains and, and supporting characters, is there anybody in your wish list that you'd like to here the ninth doctor opposite i've got one. oh uh i'd probably say the master i think that would be interesting to Ooh, see yeah just to see that dynamic because i i don't think the ninth doctor would have been as sympathetic as tenant's doctor was with the master or maybe it wouldn't you know if you still thought it was still the last one yeah which, that, that which could be master really which master would you think though Oh. Eric, Eric Roberts, Derek Jacobi. Oh, Derek um, Jacobi, because yeah. um, 
He'd be good against John Sims. Then you'd have, you'd have two Northerners together, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and yeah, I mean, as well, I picture John Sim, particularly in the in the Tenant era. It's when he also had the the cropped hair. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of looked like his little brother, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they could they'd be they'd be definitely some fun to be had with that. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be I'd be so up for that, and yeah, both stars of uh, of Cracker as well, John Sim and and uh, Christopher Eccleston. Of both course, yeah, yeah. I'm very excited to hear about the new companions because obviously Rose is such a huge part of 2005, isn't she? Mm-hmm. Of that that whole time, those 13 episodes, it's in a sense, Sarah, the Ninth Doctor without Rose is kind of unimaginable. It is very difficult to imagine because of the impact she had. All the you know the different faces that we saw of all the sides of his personality that was through Roach you know slowly teasing them out and you know making him you know warm up again to humans well and people in general he was so closed off so it's going to be interesting to see how you know how he interacts with other people and you know other com- possible companions because really Rose was. They were, she was his co-lead, wasn't she? She wasn't, even though she was second in the credits after, somebody's got to go first. Like both names <laughs> gone, but, but I do feel that it was a, a show that was led by two actors when it came back in 2005. And so with half of that missing, okay, yeah, Doctor Who has, has continued to evolve since then too and has arguably become uh, a show that is led by the by the one central character again but yeah that wasn't always the case and they are pairing him with these with these two new characters on audio talking about having big uh, boots to fill or plimsolls to fill mm-hmm. this is uh, yeah this is nova will mm-hmm. be played by camilla biput and she's a galley chef from the sphere of freedom we heard about that in the mm-hmm. brief synopsis for the very first episode in the new box sets and uh, camilla said I mean, it's Doctor Who, isn't it? It's iconic. She says, Chris is great. He's so warm and friendly. The kind of person that I instantly felt like I'd known for ages. He's got such an enveloping warmth around him. So she's a fan. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Jane McKenna plays Audrey, who's the oldest gamer in Freedom City. And uh, she says, I love the script. It's the first time I've been in something like this. It's just fantastic. What's lovely is working with people that are so invested in this and having a chance to play a character at different stages of her life. It's a great gift to an actor. These are the two ladies that are going to attempt to fill that side to the dynamic, that that portion of it. And uh, they've gone for actors here who are a little older. You know, neither of them are going to, I wouldn't imagine, unless they're playing 19-year-olds, They've gone for for women. They've gone for women rather than girls, haven't they? Yeah, and to be fair, that's probably the best way to go. I think if if you had a a teenage character, yeah, it's going to... Best will in the world, it's still going to be like a poor imitation of Rose. You can't can't help but go that way. So, yeah, to have some really different people. Uh, It sounds good. It sounds really interesting. And I love... They sound impassioned. Like they really love the stories and you know there's they're not using it as a platform that's uh that's so refreshing isn't it yeah yeah it is nowadays at one point that, at one point that would have been a given but no it is yeah. just nice to hear people talking yeah. about character talking about story talking about doctor who 
the thing that's actually the driving the driving thing here well you know absolutely because, <laughs> because people are going to have to you know, they want people to spend their money don't they they want people to invest their finances in pre-ordering these titles committing mm -hmm. to this line of merchandise <laughs> christopher eccleston has also been uh, been speaking about it too as you can imagine he's given mm -hmm. several several interviews and he's been promoting these to be fair to him he has he has been doing more than his fair share to talk the projects up he's been putting pictures out on his own instagram but he says it was lovely coming back to play the world again due to nicholas's writing i was surprised at how very quickly i seemed to recall the choices i'd made 15 years ago it was an odd experience the Ninth Doctor's still hanging around. I heard some people say, you know, after that quote, what does he mean by that? The, the choices, does he mean the choice to leave? The and I took it that he meant the artistic choice. Yeah, the, that's how I would have. The nuances to the character? Yeah. It must be like muscle memory, Sarah. Mm. <laughs> you know, when you play these parts again and respond to similar material, you're, you're the actor, you, you're working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would think so. And, and it's nice, you know, that he says that it, he could remember the beats and um, mm. you know, that there is a part of the Doctor that hasn't left him because this is what the show's like. You know? yeah. Doctor Who doesn't leave you. You can run, but you can't hide, all that <laughs> stuff. I do think the Big Finish do manage to go next level in one respect every year. But to pull something like this in particular together at this time, as we hopefully in the UK certainly be coming out of a third lockdown around this time. So again, it's something else, something else to look forward to and something to remind us of. I think it was a hot summer in 2005 as those 13 episodes spilled out. Can you remember exactly what it was like? Kat? Yeah, but it was, yeah. Uh, I remember that summer they did an exhibition at Brighton on the pier and they, they'd borrowed props and costumes from the Blackpool Museum and oh. then they, they displayed the new stuff so there was a couple of Slovene, there was Cassandra, um, they had a, a like a revolving TARDIS display unit and it had got really? the Ninth Doctor's costume and and this Rose's get yeah. up and uh, yeah I took uh, my nephew who went that summer so yeah it was a uh, you know, so then things like that, it's just, it just evokes such happy memories. And, you know, and, and that's all we had, you know, before the Doctor Who experience. Do you think that even though Doctor Who was instantly successful, it was hugely successful mm -hmm. from, from night one back in 2005, for all the billboards and everything else that was going on at the time to, you know, to whip us up and to hype it up a little bit, it was less corporate, generally. There was something quite cosy about it all. Mm -hmm. It, it would just kind of just let the art speak for itself just the series that there wasn't there wasn't all the circus, circus around it yeah it, i mean yeah, there, there was like you know there's certain interviews that like, you had to do but yeah i wasn't i don't think it was kind of shoved in your face um, and the character the character was able even though we did find out that Chris was leaving the role within 48 hours, <laughs> 48 hours of appearing <laughs> on the screen, which yeah. is very regrettable. You know, it was like a, a torpedo to the chest that was, to the heart of every Doctor Who fan. And I'm not blaming, blaming you, Chris, not at all. Uh, but they didn't have to leak that. Whoever found that out, you didn't have to put that in the papers, did you? You could have held on to that. For all, now, that could have gone one of two ways, couldn't it? It could have just made people think, 
oh well you know i'm not going to bother watching the rest of this then if the guy's leaving then what's the point but it had the actually actually had the opposite effect and people were kind of fascinated that this thing was only going to be around this candle was going to burn fast for a period of just three months it felt like we were given forewarning of how and when to catch this lightning in a bottle yeah. and i think people relished every single every single week how did you how did you receive it i was really sad because i just started liking him and <laughs> and i just thought it was so strange but yeah i i didn't want to stop at all i wanted to see how it was going to play out how it was going to end the other fascinating thing of course was alongside this we had doctoral confidential and again that was absolutely fascinating and i think this is what the thing about it being less corporate because it was about how the show was made how it was produced but remember there was so much emphasis on what it had been and you know what it took to get it back and everything that went in and i think it just made you appreciate it all the more it, it, it felt like it wasn't just a tv show it, it, it was like a you know proper institution <laughs> then, which, which of course it had been but you know for my generation yeah. we didn't know so it, it, there was like this feeling of this isn't just a tv show there's something more going on and and it just became a national thing you know there were papers about it and articles and like the water cooler thing you talk about it oh what's gonna happen next week and especially you know when it was a two-parter i remember i was doing some work in work experience in a school and it was the week after the empty child and the doctor dances and there were kids yeah. running around going are you my mummy <laughs> and again and it's stuff that we'd not seen yeah for years i don't know it just felt like especially in britain at the time it was like yeah. doctoral fever again fever yeah i think that is not an exaggeration it was like that everybody was talking about it everybody was everybody seemed completely invested in rose and more importantly for the long term in the doctor in mm -hmm. doctor who in the question doctor who people were uh, hypnotized i think by christopher eccleston's mm -hmm. choices those choices that he made back in 2004 when he was recording the show and got what the character was actually about what he represented and this is aside from the accent from the clothes and everything else that tended to get people's attention from the get-go human beings we're visual creatures and this is television it's a visual medium so when something looks different to how it has done before no period costume you know no no fancy hair doctor who is a hair part as paul mcgann will tell you doctor yeah. who is a hair part <laughs> and yet and chris eccleston had less of it than any of his predecessors mm. yes it's a stripped back performance and it absolutely burns it but it burns fast and it burns very very bright for those for those 13 weeks although i've seen christopher eccleston in th in things since which i've enjoyed this performance in this character of course it's always going to mean the most to me mm -hmm. because the doctor yeah. did anyway you know I, I say i saw him in cracker years before he was he you know, the man reduced me at that time you know i was a very cynical teenager when i saw that and he reduced me to tears it was an incredible performance he scared the life out of me in shallow grave 
which was only a couple of years later, da uh, Danny Boyle's first big theatrical film with Hugh McGregor's in that, isn't he? Mm -hmm. Wonderful, wonderful film. In fact, I could go and watch that again now. Yeah. It's awesome. Here he was playing my childhood hero, Sarah. It, it was, um, at the time, it felt like, is there anything this guy can't do? Like I said, when he was announced, I wasn't over the moon, but I wasn't disappointed either. So I was at the perfect middle point, and I think because of that, he really delivered for me too. So if we represent different sides to Doctor Who fandom, and we both feel pretty much the same about the man and the character, for, albeit for different reasons, then I think Christopher Eccleston is probably one of the most successful actors who's ever taken the role in what he was tasked to do at the time in 2004 when he was employed. Yeah, completely agree. So while we've got uh, while we've got you on on series one and in this nostalgic mood, mm -hmm. I wondered if you can pick for me three standout Christopher Eccleston moments from his time as the Doctor of his performance in particular that hit you at the time or that have stayed with you over time. Something you see something very specific in. It could be completely subjective. It doesn't have to be the the low hanging stuff. Just just give me give me three great Doctor Who moments. Talk about putting me on the spot. <laughs> no, <laughs> when he's talking to Rose in Rose, yeah. when he's talking about the turn of the earth, I know everybody quotes this, but it's such a simple scene. But and he sells it, you know, he sells it that it's otherworldly, and that you really do believe that he can feel the earth moving and how he speaks and how his face changes and how Rose's face changes as she's listening to him. You know, you can see she's been suckered in. She, she's not. She's no longer the cynical. Yeah, yeah it's just beautiful, and it it really does. Con it conveyed that age. I mean, I had no idea how old the Time Lord was, but th there's something there be behind those eyes that you know suggests you know this guy has got wisdom. Beautiful. Yes, I've got that down as one of mine. You got one. Well. <laughs> yeah. And interesting. the re the reason being yeah. the whole the whole turn of the earth thing again. I think like everybody, you, you remember, just as he says, when you are a kid and you realise that the earth is turning. And that the power of that to connect, to speak to every child, because there will have been children watching that episode that had only noticed the turn of the earth that week, or maybe even that day. Yeah. And there's the doctor referencing that and saying, you know, you know that thing that you see? Well, I see it too. Mm -hmm. But on top of that, I can feel this. Whoa. The weight of that, the way that lifts, that says, like, I am like you, but I'm something else too. That's the Doctor. That's And for all that I've said, you know, they, I don't think that the Doctor really should have a regional accent of, of any kind. I think it humanises the character too much. Mm -hmm. Great length was gone to within this episode and subsequent ones to, uh, to add what maybe could have been taken away by the lots of planets have a north kind of approach you know this this wasn't a human being he is from somewhere else and i love that moment just just to so we don't repeat ourselves i'm gonna say another moment that i like really simple moments also in rose where rose finally enters the tardis and he stood there with his hands in his pockets just atop of the little gantry by the console and uh and she said she says to him uh, it's alien he's yep are you alien yep <laughs> and, then he, and then he just says, is that all right? <laughs> you know, just the most normal, normal is that all right? Goes, uh, yeah. <laughs> and for me, 
I just love the way that he plays it so totally deadpan, like, in your own time. I'm not going anywhere. This is the truth. This is who I am. You can catch me up. Yeah, I just love that. What's your second one? Tell you, man. Well, I have some more thinking tonight. My second one. My second one is the scene in World War Three, where the Doctor, Rose, and Jackie are holed up inside Number Ten, while Margaret, Margaret Slavine, is on the other side of the of the corridor of the door. He shut them all inside, hasn't he? He shut them all inside the, this sort of inner room at Number Ten Downing Street, and she's and she's basically told him what the plan is, and he's he's worked it out. She's told him, filled in the blanks, and the, it's like, who's going to stop me? You, you know, you in your box. Yeah, I, I'm going to stop you. I, I just love that moment again. Really, really simple, and that's who the Doctor is, and he doesn't overact it at all, yeah. which I think some some of our beloved Doctors they overact moments like that. And some of them flail around like like they don't know what they're doing, naming no names. But Chris just kept it. It's like he's containing something the whole time. Yeah, and it and he's. I mean, you see how Margaret looks. I mean, first she's laughing at him, yeah. and then he just gives that look, and, and and she's worried. She she's worried when she can see that his the conviction in his eyes and in yeah. his voice that he is serious, that he believes that he can do this. So maybe I should start believing it too. Yeah. Okay. I thought I wasn't mentioning Margaret. The scene in the restaurant in Boomtown. Yeah. It's a brilliant sequence anyway as it goes from comedy when she's trying to kill him. But the, the real nitty gritty stuff where um, he gets under her skin and she gets under his as well. And like, I mean, she even says only a murderer would know mm. that. Yeah. And again, it's another interesting facet of the Doctor. Like this, this Doctor's killed. This Doctor's been to some dark places. You know, and he, and he goes through all the kind of like mentality of, oh, well, one day you just let them go because she's got freckles or he smiled or, and that's how you live with yourself. And it was a, was a really sobering moment for, for the character and, and for the viewer. I mean, you know, we up to this point, it was, you know, the Doctor's a hero, is the good guy. And it's what has he done? Or, you know, what is he capable yeah. of? Yeah what happened in his past because obviously like in every episode you'd got the time more dangling and every so often we'd you know we'd drip fed things and it was like what you know what has he been through you know what's he had to do and yeah for that's for that split second we go from being very much in the doctor's corner and on his shoulder to mm. flipping and we can see him as margaret can see yeah i feel feel the fear what's your third one the end of bad wolf when They've got the transmission working and uh, they found the signal and they realise it's the Daleks and his face of, you can see it is absolutely terrified and it, you can see him like mentally reinforcing himself and psyching himself up to talk to them again and yeah, he's just brilliant, you know, and he says that to the Daleks, no, no, I'm not. This is what I'm going to do. It's like, sod you. <laughs> sod your plans. This is yeah. what I'm going to do. I'm going to defeat you. And I'm going to rescue Rose Tyler. 
and you're just like, and and that's how it ends. You know, that was the last thing, and everyone's going, "Yeah, come on, Doctor." Yeah, it's it's a magic cliffhanger to that's yeah. to Bad Wolf, isn't it? To episode twelve, absolutely, yeah, total sort of uh, punch the air moment, and the seven days in between that and the finale were they seemed to really really drag for me, and I was old enough to know better. For me, my moment is also from mine's from Parting of the Ways, my my third moment, and it's the bit where he's uh, got. Rose Tyler in the TARDIS, telling her to hold something down on the TARDIS console. Yeah. And uh, do this, do that, I'll be back in a jiffy or whatever he says. And he runs out, he runs out of the TARDIS, out back onto Satellite 5. We see him run out, uh, full pelt, and then he stops dead centre in the floor. The expression on his face changes, his entire body language changes. His arms, his, his shoulders slope down. And we see the look on his face. And we realise what he's about to what he's about to do when he sort of turns around and uses the sonic screwdriver to dematerialise TARDIS to send Rose away, send Rose back to safety because he realises there's every chance that he's gonna he's gonna meet his final death on Satellite Five. Uh, it's again he says very little. Uh, it's it's all in the performance, all in the body language, and in his eyes. Uh, and at the moment, it gives me goose pimples just thinking about it. I've got them now, everybody. Live goose pimples here on Type 40, everybody. <laughs> it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for him. It's heartbreaking for her. Then the movie Gold starts with his music. Yes. <laughs> yeah. When and before Murray Gold went really orchestral too. So it's it's really quite haunting and quite yeah. simple. There's a simple beauty to that music mm. in that first one. This is a hard act to follow, Chris, and you, Nick Briggs. And everybody else involved in the stuff that's coming with the ninth doctor from big finish but we're very much in your corner and uh yeah i've pre-ordered i hope you have too and, i have <laughs> i was all over that <laughs> and we hope you have out there as well because we'll be returning to the ninth doctor when this box set doctor hey. who the ninth doctor's <laughs> ravages is released we'll be doing a full review on type 40 so expect lots of coverage of that from us because we love christopher eccleston and we yeah we love doctor who as much as you do get in touch and let us know what you think have we got it right have we got it all wrong what have we missed what are your top three ninth doctor moments there's lots to choose from let us know get in touch through our social medias if you like instagram and twitter at type 40 doctor who or type 40 doctor who at gmail.com on the email oh, pardon me now that wasn't lunch <laughs> that's the old girl kicking in and calling time on another conversation but we'll be back with another type 40 look out for that wherever you found this could have been on the new type 40 podcast feed hosted at type 40.podbean.com for example or you can hear us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Play, Tune In. We're on practically everything now, including YouTube, the world's largest streaming platform. Of course, we can download the Podbean app and find us there. Keep us in your pocket. We're still on the Fandom Podcast Network's incredible master feed. Of course we are, with all those other fantastic shows. fpnet.podbean.com for all of that. As ever, get in touch if you like through those social medias. And if you feel really, really brave and fancy some, some real-time, extra-dimensional chit-chat, step into the Type 40 Facebook crew. So, Sarah, you're acting very, very soon. You're due your curtain call. But where else can people watch that? And where, where can people hear you performing these various roles across time and space? What's the name of the channel again? Uh, the channel is The Geek Inside and you'll find the videos are called the script doctors live 
You can also find me on Doctor Who chat. Uh, I've also been on Blue Bonnet Hoovins channel. We've been taking a look at some more Bob Holmes oh. stories. Had a lot of fun with that. And I dressed up as Mary Tam because... Well, why, why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I adore Mary Tam. Ah, more Starry-Eyed Girl than you can yeah. possibly imagine. A sky <laughs> full of Starry-Eyed Girl. And you can find me. I'm scattered across all of space and time, but mostly on Twitter and Instagram as the space book where I am wheezing, groaning, and posting about whatever catches my eye, my imagination, or both in popular culture that's inside and outside of the TARDIS. There's links to all of that in the show notes. We always have the time if you have the space here on Type 40. More soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone. A Doctor Who podcast is a space book production for the Fandom Podcast Network with music by Problem Being.